Welcome back to Teens Talk Politics. Yeah, the... hey there, everyone. I'm your host, Neil. Yeah, and I'm Julius. And uh, we got oh, some boy. fun topics Did today. we have a week? Wow. So, first of all, I'd like to come out and say that Teens Talk Politics is officially in support of Tan France, the yeah, best member of Queer Eye. Most definitely, of course, even though he supported, was it Elizabeth Warren? I don't know what's up with him. He does. He, he endorsed her, I think. Okay, well, you. that's fair. But he did come out in support of, uh, of Bernie Sanders um, during, that, uh, during that Queer Eye shitstorm. Oh, okay. um, in which they, they trashed on him for, like, five minutes. Um, it doesn't totally surprise me that a r- bunch of rich people aren't a big fan of him. Uh, but come on. Yeah, it's um, like, like... especially that's a no-no. Uh, I don't want to generalize here, uh, you know, because they're all individuals, but especially people like Karamo or Bobby, who came up from, uh, you know, poor, less less fortunate backgrounds. Yeah, um, like that speaks to sort of a theme that we see throughout American history in that basically because we're a society that works so hard to like glorify wealth and glorify the ruling classes, a lot of people that are not in the ruling classes are much more eager to like, I guess, like identify themselves with that. Like, money, you see, money is thicker than blood any, and anything. water. Yeah, like you see, like again, like white women are a lot more likely to side with white politicians, and like uh, they're a lot more likely to be right, white, right wing, right, white. Well, well yeah, I think well, if my memory serves me correctly, fifty-three percent of white women did vote for Trump. Yeah, uh, and which you can see, like it's it's not. I would I wouldn't blame it more on the system for again like glorifying wealth and upper classes because like people are more willing to see themselves as a member of said class than to really try and affect change. And you can see that with like there, there are a lot of like successful people who came from like less affluent backgrounds. Once they turn successful, they don't exactly like keep more working class needs in mind. I don't yeah, know, that's I just weird. I just want to speak to how quickly they shut him down. Mm-hmm. Um, like as soon as as soon as the video started, and he was like, "I love Bernie," <laughs> Karamo immediately started trashing him. Oh jeez! And I, uh, that was heartbreaking like, because the tone oh in his voice, gosh. how at the end he was like, "Let's agree to disagree." Um, someone uh, someone replied to the original tweet that that came from, uh, with a queer eye response to um, or like a response from the Fab Five yeah, about yeah. communism. Uh-huh. Oh. Um, and Tan was like, well, I think communism is... And then they immediately, like, shut him down and moved yeah. on. Like, the thing is also... Comrade like... Tan, free him <laughs> from the neoliberal clutches of the Fab uh, Five. If you look at, like, any of the candidates, like, that are running for president, Bernie's, like, by far... The gayest? He has, yeah, he has the best record on LGBT rights. He's been there, like, from the start. Like, y'all, really? I don't know. Yeah, but, I, I got yeah. Into, I got into a discussion um, this week uh, about like the very reasonable point that it's time we have uh, more minorities in positions of power. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but it doesn't matter if your ideology is crap. Like, yeah, <laughs> Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren are cited as the most intelligent members of the field. Pete Buttigieg is a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, Elizabeth Warren was a Harvard professor. I have no doubt that they are extremely intelligent individuals. The fact of the matter is that they don't have the most inclusive ideologies and thus will not enforce that 
in spite of their identities. Yeah, and, um, like, no matter what qualifications, like, for example, let's go with Warren. Like, no matter what qualifications she has, like, there are some elements of her past that really can't be ignored. I guess she is uh, the only current Native American candidate. Wow, I, n- I never thought of that. Huh. She's so Native American. Wow, no, like, this is the most diverse field yet. <laughs> it, like, that's the thing. She, like, I get that this is, again, this ties back into some of the other candidates. All, a lot of them have some problematic issue of their past. But, like, Warren claiming to be a Native American and, like, basically abusing... Great. So it's kind of... I don't want to say nefarious, but nefarious that but, um, yeah, anyone, anyone would do that and then claim to represent the Native American community. Exactly. And, like, if you look at some of the other candidates, too, again, uh, one of the... This is someone that I've been discussing a lot with certain other people, but, like, Tulsi, like, geez, like, ha- have you seen how homophobic she was in the past? It's, like... Uh, it's frightening as queer people exactly like, um and mm. the fact that cishet people uh continue to cite that she has apologized that could be enough for you but it's also not a- enough for us because she used that position to advance her political career and that in my opinion is a textbook case of exploitation yeah for sure and i mean if her career is a tower of jenga blocks then about three-fourths of it hate <laughs> gay people. Yeah, and if you look at, like, I don't know, she, the scale of which she was, like, against the LGBT, the LGBT community, like, throughout most of the 90s, 2000s, etc., if you read some of the quotes that she said back then, it's insane. And, like, if you look at the way that she's responded now in the modern day to her prior, um beliefs it's it's not nearly enough to convince me that this is actually a genuine switch in her view because it it, it's she started to support lgbt rights exactly when it became politically convenient for her to do so which means that i don't know it doesn't feel like she's actually in support or she's not exactly like an lgbt rights activist yeah it's like supporting impeachment now but not like two years ago (laughs) Um, not not that anything uh in the news has to do with that yeah it's not like donald trump's been doing terrible very illegal things like since the elections like from the elections before his elections but uh... yeah so yeah like speaking about that like yeah like yeah the queer eye stuff was the most important stuff that happened in the news but i guess oh oh, yeah impeachment too that that was a thing our don might get impeached but Uh, he he definitely won't because of the senate i yeah i don't think he will one of my theories is that democrats who won't be able to like gauge uh support for it um from the republicans Uh will probably get cold feet um, fail to espouse the rhetoric that they need to, fail to gain yeah. uh, the supplemental support that they need to, and it'll eventually fall through. And One I mean, like, can be hopeful, but... We have, like, a Republican-controlled Senate, and we need, like, I believe it's a three-quarters vote to go through with impeachment, like a three-quarters vote in the Senate. I'm not really sure, but... Sorry, sorry AP Gov, but... Like it's yeah. Sorry, Mrs. Redacted, <laughs> but... Yeah. Uh, yeah chances so... are looking fairly slim. Also... Some, uh, I believe a senator or something from, or let me see. That could be Tom. Oh, yep, yep. Yeah. Oh, oh, it was actually a right-wing megachurch pastor. Whoa. That <laughs> said that there could possibly another be another civil war if Trump gets impeached and Trump basically 
agreed with that. So Why is that's... that the least weird thing I've heard from a megachurch <laughs> pastor? Yeah. It... Like, <laughs> please just stick to the God wanted me to buy a plane with my <laughs> televangelism money stuff. Please. Yeah. Also, like... Don't predict a civil war. It When you see a president, like, literally threatening a civil war over his own impeachment that's a bit of an issue oh yeah and he um he what's his name uh adam schiff he uh, accused um the what chairman of the intelligence committee adam schiff uh senator or senator from california Uh of uh, treason oh and basically called for his arrest which is cool um in other corruption (laughs) e-news uh he keeps pressuring like the whistleblower on social media and oh uh, whistleblower is currently anonymous but he yeah, keeps yeah. pressuring the whistleblower to show their face um confront donald trump ostensibly so trump can silence them that's, uh and mm. that's ki- that kind of smacks of uh corruption yeah that's that's obviously an abuse of power which is that's something that you can describe most of trump's presidency with yeah and like okay i mean do we want to go over a bit of the background in mm-hmm. like in case of any of y'all don't know yeah so like what happened was that trump basically called made a personal call to like the prime minister of ukraine yeah, I believe. vladimir Zelensky. yeah and told asked him to like dig up dirt on joe biden's son hunter which okay again like if you were to dig up dirt on anyone why would it be joe biden he's so like incompetent that he's basically a pile of dirt but i agree but there is that, there are like, a few sh- there are a few shady facts because um like biden or hunter biden was working at this uh, uh ukrainian firm um for like fifty thousand dollars a month which is high oh. above the pay grade for a job Whoa. like that with very few qualifications so there is some shady stuff about that but so like if, yeah if we still. could if we could kill two birds with one stone and <laughs> investigate the bidens and impeach trump i would be thrilled that would be great but like also like having a president launch or like try to they, he was also like the Another important detail of this was that he was holding military aid for yeah, Ukraine. Yeah, four hundred million dollars in aid. Yeah, like he to was a country that using, very much uh, depends yeah, on it. He was using that as like a bargaining tool in order to try to get more uh, to to get Ukraine to like hand over some dirt. Like again, that's trying to be, go through like a foreign entity to like uh, influence a, influence an, an election. election, which is very treason bad yeah uh one other uh thing that you may have heard is the phrase no quid pro quo which has become Mm -hmm. the new rallying cry of um the trumpian right um think like no collusion but Uh, uh this time adapted for the ukraine situation mm -hmm. and by that they mean um Trump was not withholding aid from Ukraine conditionally, but, but and he was, the, that the liberal <laughs> media, so to speak, is just buying too much into this. Thus, there was no quid pro quo. Um, so that's one thing that they're using to mobilize their base. I don't know, Julius. Do you think Nancy Pelosi made like a miscalculation here? What do you well, think is going to happen to the like Trump's base because of this? Well, I think that first of all, uh, the calls for impeachment are a bit late. <laughs> Again, like a bit is is definitely underemphasizing the point, but like he's done bad things already that are definitely not constitutional. Like far before this, and Nancy Pelosi has not acted upon it, 
which I mean in that case I do think she made a miscalculation but like this is a the, the like Ukraine thing is an extremely impeachable offense that should be that he should be held accountable for and on that note like I guess yeah it's a good that they finally saw that this is something that should make him impeached and that they're actually launching the proceedings. Yeah, I uh, see. I, um, I've heard a whole bunch that this is sort of a damned if they don't, damned if they do yeah. uh, for Democrats, because if they don't go forward with the articles of impeachment, then they are uh, betraying their values, um, if the modern Democratic Party yeah. does have any. <laughs> um, and if they do and it doesn't work out for them, then we risk a huge political loss. Um, I say we, despite not really identifying with the Democratic Party, but he, that's neither but, here yeah, nor like, there. Again, it's it's not really looking too great on it's like, not either looking way. Hot. Like, it's unlikely, very unlikely that he'll be impeached at all, because just, like, in general, looking at how many people we would need, in, like, from the Republicans to support impeachment to actually go through with it, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And also, we started this way too late, so, I don't know. It's, yeah. Yeah, Um. so another issue that warrants impeachment, uh, according to uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, mm-hmm. uh, is the issue of uh trump's violation of the emoluments clause which he has done uh a few times Mm -hmm. throughout uh throughout his uh presidential tenure uh for example when um, he pressured mike pence to uh stay at one of his resorts in what was it scotland yeah yeah um that means he is making money from a politically related uh, you know, like transactions. Yeah, he's done that so many times before. Like that's a violation of the, the emoluments clause. <laughs> um, his business and hotel dealings with Saudi Arabia, oh, which mm-hmm. makes him money, uh, based off of his political uh, position. That's yeah. a violation of the emoluments clause. Um, and time and time again, he's obstructed justice. Um, yeah, we're kind of, we're kind of stepping in it at this point. <laughs> Like, I mean, it's a good thing, like, cheers for you, Nancy, that we're actually, like, starting the impeachment proceedings, but it's it's long overdue. So, like, other things about impeachment. Whistleblowers are good. Yeah, yes. <laughs> we shouldn't be silencing people for trying to speak out, because, like, I mean, uh, this is a bit of a AP psych thing, but, like, if you look at a group think, that, that's basically, like, bad things will happen if people are pressured to just go with the zest quo and just like not really say anything against the people in power yeah edward snowden has spoken to this issue a lot he was on democracy now recently talking about how the united states relationship with whistleblowers is so bad and so antagonistic uh chelsea manning is still u.s military edward snowden has been in political exile for god knows long um uh, and this whistleblower o- really only has to lose for doing something that has net morality. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, who is he? Uh, Director of National Intelligence, Joseph McGuire, recently uh-huh. came out basically in support of the whistleblower, saying that they were uh, within the confines of the law. However, yeah. Joe McGuire's actions really have not been in cons- like really not been. Uh, consistent with that inspector general michael atkinson's take that uh the whistleblower complaint itself um was 
you know, completely, yeah. you know, urgent uh-huh. and uh, valid. Um, to reiterate, the inspector general thought that uh, the complaint was, you know, valid, whereas the uh, whereas the director of national intelligence um, has some doubts. Um, but clearly, since the you know impeachment inquiry has been launched, that's you know that's that's behind. Um, anything else? Do we think that this has any real implications on American politics besides I being mean, in a textbook ten years down the line? Yeah, like again, other than the possible historic hindsight thing of like, oh, he also almost got impeached in addition to the other couple presidents that also almost got impeached. Like, I really don't think much is going to change. Unfortunately, I would like for things to change, and I would like for him to actually get impeached and be held accountable for, like, what he's done. But that's not really super likely, given our Senate, and also given the Republican Party's unwillingness to really say anything against Trump at this point. Yeah, I suppose that would also give Mike Pence a platform to run in... uh, you know 2024 2028 um if if he doesn't screw up as badly as trump which he won't because he's an establishment republican and knows how to please them yeah he's uh (laughs) mike pence is really terrible and i hate him so much and you said that in a very matter of fact way yeah and i gotta say i'm a big fan (laughs) it's not he's he's just a generally bad person oh and mike pence fucks horses that too yeah have y'all seen that tweet I think we've mentioned it on this podcast at least five times already. The best thing for the inside of a man is, is the, the outside, outside of, of a horse. horse. Quote from Mike Pence. We did not make this up. Go look it up if you want to. You heard it here first. Yeah, Mike yeah. Pence fucks horses. I'm not going to say that you won't be scarred after seeing your vice president tweet that, but you know what? If you want to see it, go ahead. I mean, I wasn't scarred after seeing Ted Cruz liked um, P-O-R-N. Oh, <laughs> this is this is a this, this is a show for the youth. I can't <laughs> I, I can't mean, espouse this this dirty rhetoric. But other things that I have been scarred with are SNL's repeated Trump impressions. Like they are. Ooh, oh my gosh! It's like boy. Uh, for y'all in Connecticut, if you've heard that Kia of like East or West Hartford, whatever it is, their their fucking advertisement about like Donald Trump. They've been playing that for years almost i it's, hope it wasn't jill Merriam. i don't know better not have been Ew, but like, she's the dealer for the people <laughs> but yeah it, it was one of the kia dealers it's so annoying i i just i don't like listening to the radio solely because of the advertisement and also yeah. i don't like watching snl now mostly because of their extensive um trump focused impression content it's it's getting really tired like the accent and all like y'all really yeah this is what i wrote in our outline alec baldwin's trump impression is making me break out in hives and it really is because every time i see his face scrunched up in that Uh, in in that mess i i want to watch college humor i get it like y'all like i get it y'all don't like trump and like from the amount from the amount of time we like spend bashing Democrats, it might be surprise it might be surprising to hear us say that we also don't like Trump. Yeah, we we hate uh, him very much more than not more a huge than fan. Centrist. It's like, just he's that bad, but like it's just that's old news. It's not super funny anymore. Like, but okay, I mean, yeah, I think it's better the, than alternative content that they probably could be spewing out. 
Such as, like, remember that time when, like, a couple of weeks ago when they were going to have... Who was it on? Shane McGillis. Fired? Yeah, they fired him. But, like... Yeah. That might have been a worse alternative, so... Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the let's talk about the sheer, like, format. I don't know uh, why you mm-hmm. need to, needed to use that modifier, but let's talk about the format of the cold open itself. It was Donald Trump calling up a bunch of people and the SNL cast, um, essentially showing off what political impressions they could do. Oh. Cecily Strong did her Justice Janine Pirro, or Judge Janine Pirro. Oh, that that one's actually fairly Usually accurate. I think it's really good, yeah. <laughs> but she kind of suffered from the curse of Saturday Night Live, where she fell victim, victim to, like, the the really unfunny caricatures of um, oh, okay. that impersonation. Kate mm-hmm. uh, McKinnon's Rudy Giuliani. I haven't really been wowed by her since like uh-huh. i haven't really been wowed by her since before the trump era started um and you know this is the same curse of snl thing they're really not you i think kate mckinnon is hilarious mm-hmm. just not with what they use her for <laughs> oh. i mean i don't know i actually haven't watched most of the most recent snl thing yet it's like i went on youtube and clicked all of them in a new tab but they're still just sort of sitting there on my computer. Because... Yeah, like there, there's an apple, like an apple farm sketch. Uh, oh. I thought that one was hilarious. Um, apple farm, like. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, just watch it. Sure. But, okay. Um, what else? Uh, I think the more, more notable one uh, and the one that most of SNL's viewership has been waiting for was uh, the impeachment town hall sketch, uh-huh. um, in which they got the entire cast together to do their best uh, candidate impressions. Oh, okay. um, I thought the new guy, I'm kicking myself for blanking on his name, um, uh, did a fantastic Andrew Yang. Oh. <laughs> um, I know that, like, commenting on people's appearances as political commentary is kind of old news, but he really sold the, the no-neck thing that oh. Andrew Yang's got going on. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, Larry David reprised his role as Bernie Sanders. Um, in like, in spite of the fact that it's radical centrist nonsense, yeah. <laughs> um, it did kind of crack me up. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, like, he made some awful commentary, but the way in which they did it, kind of super duper got to me in like oh, okay. a in like a positive way. Um, not that it swayed my opinions or anything. Um, for example, like, uh, the phrase, um, or the the line. 2016 my motto was uh feel the burn now it's uh let's burn this place to the ground <laughs> we could do so much better and, and also bernie's been revolutionary like from the start so yeah he's not just starting i mean like from c- coming from like a neoliberal centrist uh-huh. i guess media media conglomerate essentially which is yeah, NBC. yeah they need to make profits yeah. And they're not going to do it by being sympathetic to the candidate who's least synonymous with profits, I suppose. Yeah, and also, like, they're, I, I don't see how SNL is going to diss on, like, healthcare industries or, like, anything else that's probably paying for advertising on their channel. Like, I don't see how that's going to happen within, like, a- any time at all, really. So, I'm not surprised, but... Yeah, um, in terms of Kate McKinnon's Elizabeth Warren impression, I feel like they got it totally wrong here. Like, mm-hmm. I do have some reservations, I do have many reservations with Warren, but I honestly think that she's the coolest of the 20, uh, most of the 2020 candidates at least, like, oh. she's up there. 
I mean, um, she's not. She's my actually. She's my second choice, despite her many issues. But like, also again, like her support of Medicare for all. Some of her other. Oh, we got to talk like about that. that later. By oh, the way, okay, but okay. that's that's coming up. Um, yeah, like uh, they portrayed her as you know the bookish nerd. I think she's a little cooler than that. Yeah. Like, like sure she's not the sure she doesn't like skateboard like she's no Beto, but uh, I I think she's got some appeal to um to the like easily impressed white liberal uh, yeah I guess fa- fan base um and Maya Rudolph as uh, Kamala Harris I laughed out loud at SNL for the first time in many many months. I realize that doesn't have much standing because they've been on hiatus and thus have oh, okay, not been okay. on in many, many months. <laughs> the accent and, uh, <laughs> like, the the micro-impressioning of it all was freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching The Good Place recently um, oh, in I preparation for, you know, season four coming out. Um, I'm still, like, halfway through season... Not even halfway through. I'm on, like, the third episode of season she, three. Yeah, but... <laughs> she's in... Yeah, she's there. Uh, and, it's like, she's amazing, and I love her so much. Yeah. And I would, I, and like at the end, she was like holding Billie Eilish by the shoulders. Oh, and she was okay. like, oh my God, you are so amazing. You are so talented. <laughs> and that warmed my heart because she's such a mom and I love her so much. That's nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, those are really the only two notable uh, impeachment sketch or like uh, political sketches there. Yeah. So they're, they're, I wouldn't say that like they're cutting it down since. Since SNL has always done political stuff mm-hmm. uh, for multiple times an episode, but they've they've really embraced it over the past few years. Yeah, um, for sure. In a brand that's unique to uh, the 2016 to 2020 yeah. era. Uh, I mean, other things, I suppose, in the media. Okay, Medicare for all. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, we here at Teens Talk Politics um, are big fans of the idea that uh, healthcare is a human right. Yeah. Um, you might know some, uh, you, you might know some candidates who, at, at, on, at the very least, um, show some amount of support for that, uh, namely Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. um, and if you could believe it, Cory Booker, who's actually, uh, been predicted to drop out in the next coming weeks due to fundraising shortages, um, oh. That's, that's... Oh no, Malcolm X, don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he's... He's not that, but... Um, yeah, uh, but recent developments have suggested that uh, none other than Elizabeth Warren's relationship with Medicare for All is um, a little sketchy. For example, wow. um, in a recent, I'll call it a release, she called Medicare for All just a framework. Um, and I realized if we take that at face value, then she could be talking about the concept of Medicare for All. Oh, okay. Um, but the thing is, it is a 100 it is a 100 page bill that exists and it is out there um and it's a brand that if you support uh you should stand by in its entirety um if you're going to stand by something else call it universal health care uh which is what medicare for all Mm -hmm. is but her not supporting um universal health care as as a platform i think uh is an attempt to distance it in a way that satisfies establishment Democrats. Yeah. Um, just some evidence of this, uh, or some evidence of this further than it's just a framework, uh, is on her webpage for what she says about uh, 
you know, like universal healthcare uh-huh. and getting healthcare out there for everyone. Um, she mentions letting private insurers uh, remain in the industry in terms of uh, mental health care. However, mental health care is covered by Medicare for all. Um, okay, so like... As is dental and vision. Oh, I cringe I every single time I hear the two words private health care. But like, especially looking at it in this context, like this is something that happens a lot. Like people, insurance companies, and now Elizabeth Warren, I guess, are sort of treating mental health care or like mental health issues as, as less pertinent. As if it's a, like separate. Most uh, healthcare companies do this. Like uh, it, it's a lot more difficult to get coverage for something that they deem as like not necessary to cover, such as again like mental health care and also like some skin diseases. Like if you have like th- this is only because I was doing some project for something and I looked into this, but like if you have like say like skin cancer or something and you have to go to a dermatologist to get it diagnosed, like a lot of healthcare companies will be like, oh, that's just cosmetics, so nope. But again, like Medicare for all is Medicare. It, it, it covers like all healthcare and it's universal, which is why it is necessary. Yeah, so. we can't allow, we really can't allow for two pathways that conflict with one another. Yeah. One for which the goal is public good and one for which the goal is profit. Because A, uh, that allows people to pay their way to the mm-hmm. top of um, medicine. Uh, to the top of healthcare, and uh, B, it allows people to lobby, essentially, and for those lobbying powers to remain uh, in place to uh, undermine the a public option, which is in part why I'm so against a simple public option that competes with uh, other yeah. healthcare like providers. A public option, again, if you look at, like, some hospitals now, some doctors won't like they they don't cover they don't like work they don't get paid under medic medicare like coverage or like they won't accept medicare as an insurance which again that's exactly what's going to happen under like keeping private healthcare around and adding a public option because like if you look at it now uh it's difficult for like uh i'm forgetting medicare or medicaid like whichever one but anyways it's difficult for public insurance as it is to like I guess, quote-unquote, compete on, like, a profit and monetary value, like, against private insurance, because, again, public health care is for the public good, not for private, not for profit. So it's not really, you can't really compare it that way. And, like, again, looking at people's health and people's lives in terms of whether or not it turns a profit, that's something that has That's a major been, problem. Yeah, it's been brought up only because of private healthcare's existence as an industry and that's why it's a significant issue and yeah once again it's the definition of neoliberalism yeah um which we'll talk about later hopefully if we get to the crisis in haiti Mm -hmm. uh but we've got a little more domestic news um senator sanders has really uh really stepped in it uh Mm. really 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 gotten the goat of um our our billionaires uh because he wants to abolish them wow fun i like that yeah good uh, i'm not I'm not the most uh, passionate person there would be about electoral politics, uh, just given my own philosophy. But this made me viscerally excited to hear about. <laughs> like, in my gut, I was just overflowing joy um, seeing that tweet, billionaire should not exist. 
Um, essentially, Senator Sanders uh, released a wealth tax mm-hmm. um, uh, spanning from, I believe, 1% to 8%, um, which also I think, uh, like, I think that uh, is in congruency with um, an inequality tax. Yeah. Uh, that's what he branded it, um, spanning from, like, 05 to 5%. Um, I forget what the uh, inequality tax, uh, the inequality tax affects but mm-hmm. um, it will raise one or $150 billion a year, I think. Oh, okay. um, however, his wealth tax, um, which seeks to largely decrease the wealth of billionaires, uh, can raise like $4 trillion in 10 years. Which, again, if you look at the differences, like the inequality in America, like, for example, like the there's not... Quite as, like if you look at systemic inequality, which uh, is another topic that I think we should be going into. But like, uh, let's say the the income differences between like African Americans and white Americans, for example, that's not something that's super significant. It exists obviously because of the differences in terms of access to education and like the racism in the job market in general. But it's not quite as appalling as the difference in wealth against like comparing african americans to white americans that that has built up over centuries and like especially over the past few decades like redlining stuff like that y'all know how much i love talking about redlining but like again if you look at some of the statistics like let's say in boston there was a recent study i believe it was like 2015 ish the average wealth for uh an african-american family like an intergenerational african-american family which basically means that like they weren't like recent immigrants from africa but like they've been in america for a while like their average wealth is eight dollars as in eight packages of four chicken nuggets from mcdonald's like eight dollars and versus the average wealth of white families which is two hundred forty seven thousand dollars like that is the the wealth difference is insane it's a product of systemic racism it's a product of systemic inequality and it's great that there are candidates who are actually aiming to decrease this gap and like actually solve it so yeah i think i speak for both of us when we say that intuitively we know that no one needs a billion dollars no one needs 50 500 million dollars no one needs $50 million. <laughs> so when there are people who have more than they will ever need and people who have not enough, where is the morality in denying the people who do not have enough of what they need? Um, and we were talking about mm-hmm. this last night, that neither parties, whether you're a libertarian or a socialist, uh, believe in stealing, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, unless you're you and I and, like, it's from the rich. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, the rich. It's the problem is they have a different definition of stealing. Yeah, and, like from the perspective of leftists, I suppose, which I think is a little left bit is more. best. Yeah, but like corporations have been stealing from the working class forever. It's in the name, wage theft. Yeah, well, it's people being uh be, like taken advantage of for cheap labor. That's been happening for a very long time. And, like, government, specifically ours, taking advantage of certain groups and, like, not really allowing them to attain wealth while basically helping other groups attain wealth. 
that's created the wealth gaps that we know today and yeah. the inequality that we know today. And uh, a libertarian or, you know, someone in that, that axis yeah. um, might say that taxes are a form of stealing because uh, in some form or another, people who earn money are entitled to it. Um, however, taxes against billionaires are better for... Or they're more beneficial for, yeah. like, the public good. Um, and those entitlements were set completely arbitrarily um, by people who are in power uh and have the power to value their labor or lack thereof, in the case of CEOs much of the time, as, you know, thousands of degrees higher than, like, actual members of the working class. Yeah, and if you look at taxation in general as the the idea of taxation, uh, it's not really theft in that you're giving like a government if you look at the general idea of what a government consists of it's a group of people consenting to have like to to be governed because we're basically by living in our society giving consent to be governed by the government that we so choose and like obviously if that government isn't really something that we want or isn't something that we feel represents us accurately than like revolts that exists but like taxation is necessary for a government to function and and they they do provide things in return for taxation yeah whether it's taxation or systemic mutual aid or uh contracts between people who help one another um i believe that we should live in a in communities of love and altruism yeah. and compassion and to do that we ha- we must make sacrifices to care for one another mm-hmm. and we have obligations to in order to execute those um just the obligation in our current political framework is paying taxes um and it's certainly not sacrificing your d- like entitled wage so that a billionaire can continue to line their pockets <laughs> And, okay, so this is a bit of a response to something that, I guess, like, the, our society has been working towards forever. But, like, I, I'm really specifically against how much we glorify wealth and, like, the idea of the, uh, the, the idea of generally, like, the rich person that's, like, donating money or, like, give money to the rich so that they can donate to the poor. Like... Yeah. That kind of what's it called? Uh, al- not altruism, but uh, like philanthropy. Ph- philanthropist. Philanthropy. Yeah. That that idea of that idea of a person is something that like my personal finance teacher and also like some family members have expressed. Like, oh, like the philanthropist. Like that's a uh, philanthropy is like a, uh, that's a, a good person or whatever. But if you look at how rich people attain their wealth, how the wealthy classes attain their mon- money and their power it's through the abuse of the working class and by essentially giving them more money and more power and more influence in society so that they can supposedly choose what money goes back to the working class or in what ways it can go back that's not really helping the working class at all and if you look at philanthropists such as bill and melinda gates Mm -hmm. uh who promise to donate you know half of their income to charity before they die um and then look at where that money is going while they're alive 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, <laughs> which funds uh, which funds economic development. I say that in quotes. Uh, in places like the DRC, Demo- uh, Democratic yeah. Republic of Congo. Mm-hmm. Um, however, one of the major exports of the Democratic Republic of Congo is coltan, which is a huge resource for um, Microsoft consoles and uh, computers. Uh, and mining, the mining of coltan is so widespread in the DRC and uh, m- much of West Africa, in large part because of structural readjustment programs that are enforced by uh like the world bank and the international monetary fund um as pressured by foundations like the gates foundation yeah. and you like the united states who uh-huh. has 17 percent voting power uh in Ooh, all of these yeah. uh organiz- like debtors essentially yeah, yeah yeah it's because we have the most money that's exactly. why we have final say and who does what and like if you look at it in a profit driven system I, I think like inherently in a profit driven system giving money to the people with money and letting them choose like a whether or not to give to redistribute that money to the poor or to more people who actually need it or be like how in what ways to distribute that money like it's obviously going to take root or like it's it's like letting rich people give away money or distribute money it's it's always going to go through in a profit driven way it's not going to be for the benefit of the people or for i guess like mutual well-being within a society like i don't doubt that people have uh the best interests of a society like in their thoughts or in general like they're not considering that I, I do think I hope that like people are really trying to think about things for the common good, but in a structure in which personal gain is glorified so much, it's really not much of a surprise to see that people are exploiting these systems for their own gain primarily without even knowing about it yeah. many times. Um, I think a great way to contextualize this is talking about what's happening in Haiti right now, which mm-hmm. you might know about it, you might not know about it, but uh, it's it's a huge thing that's rocking the island nation right now. But before we do that, let's um, put like a clear definition on neoliberalism and neocolonialism, which mm-hmm. we talk about a lot, but you know don't really define, especially even in like the groups that were part yeah, of yeah. In, in in school. Um, Neoliberalism is essentially the view that capitalism is the main force of good in the world, um, and it can solve every problem. For example, uh, healthcare. Um, the idea that privatized healthcare um, is the best option for a society mm-hmm. is a great example of neoliberalism. Um, on the global scale, neoliberalism is that trade in a capitalistic market framework uh-huh. is the best way to increase good um uh so in other words competition is better than cooperation um and now neocolonialism uh is essentially the new forms of colonialism outside of just like invading a country yeah. making houses for white people there neocolonialism is the way that the current world powers keep their grip on um more economically underdeveloped and i say that 
loosely because economic development is a pretty shady idea in and of itself mm-hmm. um on like the econ- like poorer nations um which are often grouped in as the global south so countries mm-hmm. like the congo oh, argentina yeah, yeah. chile um most of latin america most of south asia uh neocolonialism is how countries like the united states and the uk and france and germany keep our grip over them and you know uh tell them what to do to serve our profit motives so what's going on in haiti right now um essentially there's a rebellion against their current material conditions mm-hmm. yeah it's uh mostly to pressure the resignation of um the current prime minister uh prime minister uh, mose and there have been like lootings of police stations and uh like uh, stores and uh, the, part of me is completely in support of this i just want there to be some kind of structure however that cannot happen with like forces and superpowers like the united states telling the working class what to do yeah um a large portion of this is it comes from haiti's history it was a french colony in um like until the 1800s after the <laughs> haitian revolt um, after which they owed France a massive, massive amount of debt. Vox has a great video on it for those who are interested. Uh, they managed to pay it off very recently in the 90s, um, and, but that still took a huge toll on the working class mm-hmm. and the infrastructure of the country. Uh, pair that with the hurricanes and earthquakes oh, that have yeah, been yeah. happening uh, since then, um, and there's been there's really been no help for those kind for like those issues even when the clinton foundation and other world ngos and the international community swooped in to help nothing really happened under nothing really happened other than uh economic mobility for businesses um Uh, which is kind of shady yeah (laughs) uh because economic mobility for businesses although it sounds good doesn't actually trickle down wow what a surprise trickle down economics doesn't work what you heard it here first trickle down economics just uh cancel yeah (laughs) i tried that (laughs) yeah okay yeah it works better when iris is here yeah definitely Um, shout out to you iris you better be listening to this um so as a as a continuation um in 2006 they entered a treaty called petro carib with Uh uh, venezuela under hugo chavez who was um, essentially trying to give them fuel, but at an extremely d- discounted price. Yeah. Uh, they gave them a loan with a 1% interest rate. Mm-hmm. However, when um, the Venezuelan oil market tanked in 2018, um, this deal basically had to fell, fall apart. Uh-huh. And the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, which we mentioned earlier, was like, okay, we'll give you $91 million in aid if you partner up with a private U.S., um, you know, oil supplier uh, instead of the nationalized Venezuelan yeah. oil supplier. Um, and this comes at the condition as well, like the additional condition of you having to structurally readjust, which essentially means cutting pr- uh, social programs and uh, funding privatization of your economy. Um, oh. So structural readjustment, it sounds neutral at face value, but it really just means austerity and um anti-labor pro-business uh governmental or like measures yeah yeah um so that's resulted in a rebellion and i think we have a we in the united states have a lot to learn about it so yeah this really i think 
harkens back to the need for climate justice, mm-hmm. uh, which has really been in the news lately with, um, you know, Greta Thunberg being you know, voted around the world, uh, talking about how, you know, boomers ruined our future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my thesis essentially is that we need, like, international anti-colonialist climate justice not funded or like not spearheaded by the white liberals or even white leftists um either we need a rainbow coalition um of people doing this or it needs to be by actually preferably i think it should be by like the haitian working class um but like guided of course i think lenin and mao called that a vanguard party but i'm i'm getting a little ahead of myself but yeah like overall if you look at how climate change and the response that has been structured, a lot of it hasn't, like, the talk around it has a lot of times been surrounding, like, oh, like, in what ways can this be made profitable, which, again, is an issue because if you consider things that, if we're looking at things, like, from a capitalist perspective, like, any sort of aid, I suppose, can be put into question, because whether or not its intentions are purely for like improving conditions for more people or therefore like increasing increasing profits for a select few like that really is questionable at best and like capitalism serves to strongly blur the lines between like uh outset like just doing good or like just or doing something that appears good to benefit someone else more yeah i don't want to treat the haitians like animals in a zoo but this this rebellion i don't want to call it a revolution um it really is amazing to 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 hear about um and the ways it could go and i think that it has a lot more political relevance than um protests in hong kong um or brazil because those are largely a little more libertarian right Mm -hmm. in nature and the american left uh could be listening to like we could be listening to the material conditions of people in haiti and what our working class has to learn from that while you know also helping them and helping them build a revolutionary base if um that's something that they want to like uh in general so in other news systemic racism yeah it exists so this is stemming mainly from a fun little conversation i had this week but systemic racism if you don't know what it is it's basically just that the our system has been created against certain classes and against certain groups of people namely african americans and people of color and that's the reason why the inequality that we see today which is very clear it, that that's the reason why it exists and continues to be strengthened and uh apparently some of y'all don't really understand that it exists and needs to be recognized for one very strong example of this in recent news is that a six-year-old black girl a six-year-old like as in a first grader was arrested in an orlando elementary school which oh my god oh, wow <laughs> I don't really have many words to say about this because it's just, uh, I, I don't know. It's, I... it's that's really existentially horrifying, and we need to view this as more of a. We need to view this less like, um, oh my god, this is 
a single isolated incident incident oh, it happens all the um, time yeah yeah and instead look at it as a problem inherent to our criminal justice system yeah and, and also inherent in, like, to our institutions in the ways that our culture views like people of color and specifically african-american youth and people in general like i don't know it's not it's not beneficial because like even children african-american children are constantly demonized in the media in even like schools as you can see it's it's not good at all and like i don't know let's let's take a bit of a deeper dive i guess into the structures that have permitted inequality today in our country to exist yeah yeah you're not going to hear me say this often but beto was right (laughs) <laughs> white supremacy really is inherent to the founding of our nation uh like the continuation of our nation and the presence of our nation uh in the modern world with that i think the school to prison pipeline oh, mm-hmm. um really shows that uh in just the disproportionate um prosecution of uh people of color from like from schools to private prisons yeah and okay the thing is it's a bit easy for people to make like a fundamental fundamental attribution error here and say like and blame victims for what's happening we see it all the time in right-wing media can like saying again like every time a police shooting occurs they should have listened to the police officer or they shouldn't have done whatever vaguely quote-unquote illegal thing that they may have been doing like again Philando Castile had a broken turn signal. Like, is that grounds enough for him to be shot dead in front of his four-year-old daughter and girlfriend? Like, that's not... This justification, it's an easy way to get distracted by, like, oh, if someone did a crime, then that means it's justifiable that they were, like, they, they deserved to die. Like, this is something that, again, like, Fox News does it all the time. Like, oh, if someone was doing something wrong and the police caught them doing that, then, like, that's grounds enough to assume that they were dangerous. But the thing is, they're not making this assumption based on something like that. It's being based more on, like, systemic racism and, uh, what's it called, stereotypes against groups. So... Yeah, it... Okay. It's been proven that, like, your job is going to reflect who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and people with, like, aggressive backgrounds who might want to hold power other people are just more likely to be police officers. Yeah. And their biases are going to be so exaggerated in that context exactly. because they are viewed as, like, an authoritative figure and like holds just, essentially yeah. the power of life and death in their hands. Not completely to blame this on people in criminal justice i think the real problem here is more focused on how systemically these uh like these positions of power have been created in order to like lord power over certain groups but like i'm sure that most people who try who want to be policemen or who want to be like in the military for example they're well-intentioned exactly but the thing is that's that's not the function of our police force and military. That's yeah. the problem. Uh, if you look at again, let's let's take a historical little detour here. Uh, our whole government and by extension our p- police forces were really created in a time of slavery, in a time of racism, 
and it's very apparent in their structure that they were created specifically against African-American communities and African-American people. Uh, if you look at like our electoral systems, like again, the three-fifths three -fifths compromise, that's, that's, under, that's like devaluing the humanism, not, not humanism, but like the human value of African-American bodies and African-American people and just in general slavery as an institution and how much that was protected throughout a large portion, like the majority of American history, it, it's very obvious in our governmental structures and in our laws and in the way that our democracy quote unquote exists that this discrimination and that this inequality has always been like a building block off of which our society has been created. I'm, I'm not like I feel like I'm not really doing this justice in the way that I'm trying to describe doing it this now. justice uh, uh, criminal justice but like yeah it's it's a it's a very big issue and it has a lot of historical origins that continue to have repercussions today and if we look at some more recent history that you guys probably have heard me rant about a couple of times already oh boy but yeah we're going into redlining again I love redlining do you? Uh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, when it happens. <laughs> White America? Is that you? But anyways, so like, again, some of you might not be super informed on the historical underpinnings of redlining. And like, again, this ties into like the end of Reconstruction and everything. But like, so basically what happened is that African Americans were like expressly forbidden for the like major swaths of the 20, 20th century from buying homes and therefore like accumulating wealth in the newly developed suburbs in america and what happened then like the the causes of this were because like insurance for mortgages from the federal government from the federal housing administration was not extended to people of color and not extended to african americans which meant that banks wouldn't really give a mortgage to you if you were black and therefore you couldn't really buy a house if you were black and what happened essentially was that the suburbs as they uh happened like as they were created were initially fairly accessible for most white americans because of the mortgages that were created like shortly after world war ii that would aid their access into these newer neighborhoods and as white people continued to be able to buy homes and be able to accumulate wealth at a much higher rate uh, African Americans were really left out of this. They couldn't buy homes. They had to resort to contract buying, which was a predatory form of like house purchasing in most cities. And like this basically stole money from African American communities and created the inner cities that we know today. And the historical repercussions of this are that nowadays most quality of education, like education in general, access to opportunity is pretty much determined almost entirely by zip code. If you're born in an inner city area, the quality of education just because of the like the financial disparities, it's a lot worse and it's a lot difficult then to get into colleges, to get out of like cycles of poverty that have been around for generations. So when you say that systemic racism doesn't exist and when you try to focus on like current day like oh like what rights are there that white americans 
have that like African Americans might not have. Like if you look at it in that perspective, which by the way there are tons of things that like white Americans by nature of their privilege can do and African Americans can't. But if you try to take such a current day perspective and refuse to look into the problems of the past that have created this inequality, you're really not addressing the problem at hand and therefore a solution can't be reached. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, in a constitutional for... vacuum, that claim has grounds, but uh, in reality, doesn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, if you were to look at the 13th Amendment and the provision for slavery in prisons, in reality, black Americans are far more likely to be sent to prison than white Americans. Thus, there is a higher... They're still more affected by the legacy slaver, of oh, slavery. Mm -hmm. For sure. Even, like, in prison, where slavery is allowed. Um... So yeah, that's just to shine a little light on the issue. Yeah, and again, like, this manifests itself in so many other contexts as well. Like, the war on drugs, basically... Canceled. Yeah, yeah, but like, even in the 90s, the, the justification a lot of people like to use is that, oh, like, these specific communities were being, were like, abusing drugs and responsible for more drug crimes, but in fact, that was mostly false because white communities and suburbs also had very similar, if not equal, uh, rates of drug use and violent drug crimes. But the difference was African-American communities were demonized in the media and African-American communities were targeted by the police more. So the result of that was that African-Americans were uh, basically sent to prisons, labeled as felons, their voting rights were taken away, they were sent into essentially a new form of slavery, which uh, the new Jim Crow, great book, go read it. If, if you can't be bothered to read, then then watch Thirteenth on Netflix. It's yeah. great. Ava DuVernay directed it. She's awesome. But I guess our main conclusion here is that racism bad. Yeah, and if you don't look at the inequalities that we have in our society today, and just blame it on people, that is an error the fundamental attribution error actually which basically means that you're blaming something that's happening on people rather than blaming it on what is more likely the cause which is conditions that have arised see yeah the right is far more likely to do that just by nature oh, because sure. it's so rooted in individualism and personal responsibility and it's more willing therefore to discount centuries of racism or centuries of inequality that have caused certain things to happen the world is a big place and there are a lot of circumstances and internal contradictions yeah. that contributed to the reason why things are which is why a person sorry like oh, yeah, a, sure. a person doesn't die of cancer because they chose to die they died of cancer because of contradictions in their body which made it like made it so uh a, a an extreme far-right like individualist would say that it was the fault of the person that they died as opposed to like the uh, common sense approach that like cancer killed cancer them. killed them yeah that like exactly the the differences in opportunity the differences in equality i'll say, I'll say that but like those vast vast differences have not just randomly popped up they're not just because of like human qualities to suggest that like differences in wealth for example are a fault of people 
that is a very dangerous view. It aligns closely with some, like, what's it called? Uh, new Dar... Not New Darwinism, but, like... Social Darwinism? So, social Darwinism, <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the, those are real social Darwinist views. They're not good. Uh, it's easy to fall into that rabbit hole, but just in general, as, I guess, a bit of a conclusion, try not to think about... Like, try try to look into the issues that might have caused something to happen. Don't just accept things at face value and say, oh, the reason because... The reason because... The, the reason of, like, some large group of people's, like, lack of success is because they're not trying hard enough. That's an easy assumption to make, but if you look at history at all, it's very false and very dangerous. Yeah, that's so. not how material... That's not how the distribution of material conditions are working out. Yeah. yeah. I think and, that's a... Oh, yeah, go on. Yeah, but yeah capitalism bad but yeah so that was a fun episode uh if y'all want to uh go make sure to subscribe to us on spotify apple podcast google play podcast wherever find us on instagram um and twitter and if you want to leave us some fun reviews on on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so bye Bye. ayn rand sucks (laughs) 